You're listening to Radio Looks Loose, and I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 70. The title of today's episode is School Shootings and How to Solve Them, Crime Prevention or Crime Punishment. Well, thanks to everybody for joining the live stream today. I'm actually coming to you at a much earlier time than I usually do. It's a decent time. The the sun's still up, which is kind of an amazing thing. Um, usually I'm doing these things at 10 or 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night or some crazy thing like that. But i am uh, got a few things going on, and I wanted to go ahead and get this done early today. And probably the single biggest thing that I've got going on today is my UC Bearcats, my uh, University of Cincinnati Bearcats. Yes, I'm a graduate of University of Cincinnati. They're playing, the uh, football team is playing for the conference title today. UC's 12-0, and 0, and I, they're ranked, I think, four nationally. So here's my UC, UC sweatshirt, go UC. Um, they're, they're playing, uh, they're actually playing the University of Houston today. And if they win that game, there is a very high probability that they're going to have a chance to play for the national championship. And as I said this before on this podcast, I'm just constantly amazed that UC is actually having a chance, has a legitimate shot to play for a national title. I never would have thought that was possible. And and I've really enjoyed this year. You know, some people have said this is the biggest game in UC history, and, and I think that's true. And that's saying quite a lot, too, because... They've been playing football since 1885, so you know this goes back a long way. And uh, but yes, this is a this is a big deal, and I uh, wish them all the best of success. And uh, Houston's not a uh, pushover by any means. They're uh, I believe they're 11 and one, and they uh, they're ranked 16 nationally. You don't get to be ranked 16 nationally by by being a slouch. And so, I mean, they're not a, it's not a gimme uh, that UC is going to win this game, but uh, I'm going to hope for the best outcome here. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have a shot here to to play for a national title and I have some good news. But anyway, that's why I'm wearing my UC sweatshirt today. Uh, (laughs) Got to support my Bearcats. Anyway, um, hey, there's one one other thing I wanted to mention to you. You know, I, I mentioned that my, my neighbors have this giant Frosty the Snowman inflatable. (laughs) <laughs> which is the biggest thing I've ever seen. And I saw them, they had it up for a test run this summer. And I told you I'd get you a picture of it when it, when it was put up. Well, they put it up this past week. And, and here's a picture of this thing. Um, this little tree here down in front is about six feet high. Now, the, the, the inflatable, it's up there on a bit of a hill. So it's, it's not even. But, I mean, you can see the house behind there and in the, the top of his, his top hat. And it, uh, you know, he's... It, it's up to the second story of this building. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, really an amazing thing to see. It's the biggest inflatable I've ever seen. I showed a picture of this to one of my friends who's about my age, and he said, oh, that's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, from Ghostbusters. You, know, you remember that. It's kind of funny. That's, what I, that's kind of what I thought, too. Um, but whether it's Frosty or the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, it's, uh, it's quite impressive, um, the size of this. And, and I found out something, too, about, uh, about our neighbors is that last year, they uh, they came in second in a uh, contest, I guess, held by a local TV station here in Cincinnati, and they, they got second prize for best light display in the city. So that, that's kind of a big deal for them. And uh, so who knows? They, they've kind of raised their game this year. Maybe they're, they're going for that number one spot. I guess we'll, uh, we'll see if they get that or not. Oh, goodness. Anyway, so yeah, enough of that. Now, one thing I wanted to uh, talk about, this is kind of the main main point that I wanted to talk about here today, and that is, you know, school shootings and, and how to solve them. Because, you know, there was another terrible school shooting in Michigan this week, and 
there's, uh, of course, the usual uh, kinds of, of rhetoric that you hear out in the in the press, and and this is a very kind of thing that, that Christians need to be talking about. And so I thought I'd um, bring a little bit of, uh, you know, try try my best here to uh, to bring some um, bring the scriptures to bear on this particular subject. Now, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I want to go back and uh, cite something that John Robbins said. Now, John Robbins said this somewhere in one of his lectures, and I don't have the the reference immediately handy. So I don't know offhand what it is, but I know that he talked about there being two basic approaches to criminal justice. There's crime prevention and there's crime punishment. Now, crime prevention is, is the, uh, that's the method of tyrants. Crime prevention is the, is the biblical approach. And with crime prevention, what governments attempt to do is they want to regulate everybody in advance, create this whole big body of regulations with the idea that they prevent some kind of, of future wrongdoing. So essentially what they do is they punish everyone in order to prevent some, you know, punish innocent people in order to prevent some theoretical future uh, wrongdoing. Now, you know, that's that's condemning the, you know, that's condemning the innocent. That is that is unjust. <coughs> Excuse me. And but that is the that is the position of crime prevention. You know, the other way that you can approach crime is crime punishment. And that is where you after someone has been given due process, gone through a trial, this type of thing. And in due process is a Christian concept as well that that person and that person alone is punished. You know, you don't punish um, the entirety of society for some individual's crime. You punish the individual that that did the evil deed. Now, looking through some of this, there was a, uh, a story, and this is from a paper. I'm going to go ahead and bring this up here in just a moment. And get this so we can can view it together. Looks hmm. like I've actually already got it up here. So we'll do that. And we'll do that. And just a moment. Sorry, I should have had this ready, but I didn't. Um, okay, here we go. All right. So sharing this uh, this story here, this is a story from The Hill. And, you know, that's your, your standard mainstream uh, American press here. And it's got a headline, 15-year-old Michigan school shooting suspect to be charged as an adult. And and you read through this, and uh, there's a statement by the prosecutor that I, I think is very telling. Um, I mean, the intention is, of course, to to uh, charge this uh, this young man. This uh, his name is Ethan Crumley to charge him as an adult. But she said, "Let's see here." Uh, the prosecutor said that there was no reason to be concerned about Crumley's mental stability at the time, adding that officers' response was executed perfectly. But the four students' deaths indicated a need for more gun control. So it appears that the, the prosecutor says, okay, what we need to do is we need more gun control. In other words, what we need is we need more crime prevention. Or to put it another way, we need to deprive innocent Americans of their God-given and constitutionally guaranteed right to keep and bear arms 
uh, because of a terrible deed that was done by this one individual, or at least alleged to have been done by this one individual. Let's let's stay in the the alleged category here because he has not been tried yet. Uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that uh, that this uh, young man, this Ethan Crumley, did in fact uh, commit the crime. But I'm not going to pronounce on that right now. I'm not going to conclude whether he's guilty or not. We'll let him have his uh, his day in court, as they say. And, and of course, we know, as, as I mentioned earlier, the idea of due process, that is also a Christian concept. So the prosecutor believes that, that this particular crime by, uh, by Ethan Crumley, or alleged crime by Ethan Crumley, um, deserve, uh, requires that we have more gun control. Now, she's not the only one, of course. There's a, a tweet here by uh, David Hogg. David Hogg is, is a, he was a, became, shot to national prominence back in, was that 2017 or 2018? Um, but he was at Parkland High School, um, well, in Parkland, Florida, I guess it was, um, it wasn't called Parkland High School, I don't think. But anyway, he was, it was that Florida school shooting, and uh, he became a very prominent activist uh, for more gun control. And of course, he's constantly out there uh, advocating for all kinds of uh, progressive policies, and he he's a, a big advocate of uh, of gun control, probably one of the better known public uh, figures arguing for gun control. And here's a tweet uh, from him out there. This one actually doesn't have any swear words in it, which is is kind of rare for David Hogg because most of his his tweets do. Um, he says, "Stop waiting for the next Parkland. You can act now and prevent it." So you know, there's right there, you know, the idea of crime prevention. And he continues, "Appoint a national director of gun violence prevention." Okay, so there's more crime prevention. And use the power of the bully pulpit to create a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. You're great at working across aisles. Uh, he's apparently addressing this uh, uh, to, uh, to Joe Biden. He says, prove it, POTUS. Of course, POTUS, that's the abbreviation for President of the United States. Uh, sometimes people call the president POTUS. So yeah, he's, he's tweeting at, uh, at Joe Biden, and, and he twice mentions uh, prevention. So I mean, he's very much an advocate of, of the crime prevention um, school of thought. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that. So you know we we had this idea that that you know according to David Hogg you know the government needs to act in order to prevent crime and of course that's supposed to make I guess apparently he doesn't go into detail but but very obviously I mean he wants to make it harder and harder to to get guns and and probably I mean if if truth be told probably he and the other uh, gun grabbers out there would like to take them all together and completely void the uh, the Second Amendment rights of the American people uh, they want to do that they want to take your guns I mean there's no question about that um, I think uh, better O'Rourke. You know, made some comment about that, wanting to take your, your AR-15s um, during, the, uh, uh, during the last presidential campaign. So, yeah, I mean, these people want to take your, take your guns. Now, let's talk a little bit more about, about the regulatory state. And I think we can see how the, the problem of crime prevention comes about by looking at, looking at the way it's applied in another area. And I wanted to talk here about the regulatory state and COVID. As, of course, when we think about COVID, you know, there's all these countries out there that have been, for almost the last two years now, have been over backwards. They've violated the civil rights of their citizens. Um, they have imposed uh, really onerous mask requirements, lockdowns um, in uh, some certain places. I think it's, it's in Australia. They have uh, basically uh, concentration camps uh, in some cases. Uh, I think it's the Northern Territories. I think it's one state that has that. Uh, 
So yeah, there's uh, there is uh, some very onerous uh, mandates out there. Austria um, just recently they mandated that uh, everybody, all adults in the country, are going to have to be vaccinated by some date early in the first. Qu- it's in the first quarter of 2022, so just a few months away. And there's big demonstrations over there. So I mean, you you don't even have if you're in Austria, and at least currently, you don't even have control over what gets stuck in your body. And I mean, I, I can hardly think of a more uh, substantial violation of one's personal rights and the mandate that somebody has to have a vaccine, or I guess, you know, you're going to be put in jail and you're going to be fined. And, you know, of course, there are a lot of people in the United States, you know, Anthony Fauci and, you know, mayor of New York, mayor of LA, certain governors, probably our president. Uh, there's lots of people in, uh, in very powerful places that would like to see those kinds of policies here in the United States. Uh, praise the Lord, they have not yet been able to do that, but I think that's certainly what uh, what they're aiming for. Now, none of this is warranted by Scripture. Uh, the Bible does speak about quarantines in in the Scriptures. You know, there are some very clear passages that talk about quarantining people with leprosy. You can find those in uh, Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus thirteen. But there are significant differences between the Bible's leprosy uh, quarantine provisions. And what's being done by by governments today? In the first place, there were no leprosy police, police in ancient Israel going around uh, forcing uh, forcibly testing people and checking them to see if they had had accurately reported their leprosy. If you read through the passage in in Leviticus, you see that it was up to the individual person to turn himself in. So you know they didn't have. Uh, a leprosy police. They didn't have a leprosy inspection. I mean, the expectation was is that if, if you saw something on yourself, you would go to the priest and you would have the priest examine you. Now, only after a thorough examination by the police by the priest uh, was anyone quarantined. And people who showed no sign of quarantine uh, were were not quarantined for leprosy to quote slow the spread. You know, there was that uh, saying, and this was put out by Donald Trump. In the well, it was like the first quarter, I guess, of uh, of 2020, or first or second quarter. But the the slogan was 15 days to slow the spread." You know, so we were all going to social distance and wear masks and you know work from home and do all this stuff for 15 days. We were going to slow the spread, then everything would go back to normal, and boom, you know, we'd be back to uh, doing the the normal things. Well, here we are, two years later, you know, and 15 days to slow the spread has turned into you know, the authorities in the United States uh, and in many other countries trying to jab everything that moves. And if you don't agree to get the jab, you know, they, they want to toss you in, a, in a, uh, a concentration camp or toss you in jail or fine you uh, out of house and home. And it's, it's a truly horrible situation that, that has occurred. But you can see with, with this whole treatment of COVID how it's very similar to the idea of, of crime prevention. You know, what we're going to do is we're going to impose all these really draconian things such as lockdowns and mask requirements and vax requirements and masks and social distancing and, and all of this, this terrible stuff. And this is going to prevent the spread of COVID. Well, it, it hasn't prevented the spread of COVID. And it's not surprising that none of it's worked. Because they're not approaching things from a biblical standpoint. Now, as I said, there is a legitimate biblical case to make for quarantining people who are sick with infectious diseases, certainly dangerous ones. You know, leprosy was was one of those. 
In fact, I think it was the only one, if I recall correctly, that in, in the Old Testament where, where that occurred. But there was no general provision in the law of Moses to just lock down Israel to prevent the spread of, uh, of, of leprosy or of any other disease, for that matter. That, that didn't exist. It was the individual person who had the leprosy who was quarantined. You know, it wasn't, there were no general lockdowns or mandates of one sort or another for the population as a whole who did not have leprosy. You don't quarantine healthy people. There's another way of saying that. I've heard some people put it that way. You don't quarantine healthy people. And yet this has all been about quarantining, that is to say, punishing healthy people. It's the same principle applied to managing disease as it is you know, with these people who want to grab everybody's guns. You know, They want to grab everybody's guns in order to prevent some future wrongdoing. Whereas the proper biblical approach to criminal justice is if somebody does something horrible, then that person bears the guilt. That person is punished. You don't destroy people's right uh, to defend themselves because of what somebody else did. In that case, you know, you're, you're punishing the innocent. And you can see that in, in both cases, you know, in both the, the way government deals with COVID and the both in the way that, you know, the, the gun grabbers want to deal with, uh, with, with gun problems. You know, whoever it is, you know, if somebody commits a school shooting or any other kind of shooting where you go in and murder somebody, that person should be executed. I mean, that is the 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 biblical stance. Now, I'm pretty sure I, I'm not I haven't read this for sure, but I mean I would be pretty shocked if the uh the young man who stands accused, you know, if he is found guilty of the, the school shooting, I, I would be very surprised if he's executed. He probably will not be. Um, but if he is guilty, or if anyone's guilty of doing a crime like that, yes, those people should be executed. That's the proper way of dealing with that. Um, you know, it's, it's spelled out very clearly in uh, in the Word of God. Now, and in fact, you know, well, here's something that's interesting here. I was going to point this out, and I, I had forgotten about this. Um, Yeah, let's see here. Oh, the issue of uh, of vaccine regulation in the United States. So, you know, since we're talking some here about COVID, uh, in in America, the the pharmaceutical industry is is very heavily regulated by the FDA. And I just listened to an interview with uh, Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr. And one of the points that he was making in this interview is an interview he did with Tucker Carlson is a big... Uh, big pharma companies essentially run the Food and Drug Administration. Now, the Food and Drug Administration is the governmental body, the federal governmental body that oversees the the regulation of the uh, of the pharmaceutical companies that manufacture vaccines. And it's up to the FDA to either approve or to deny approval for any type of a uh, of a vaccine. And one of the things, one of the problems with the regulatory state that that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. brought up is something that's called regulatory capture. And, he t- and this is something that's not true just in the vaccine industry. It's also true in other industries as well. 
So, for example, what's going on here in the FDA, you've got a, a lot of cross-pollination. In other words, a lot of the same people who sit on the FDA were either former board members of the companies they, they supposedly regulate, or some of the people that are on the boards are people who served in the FDA. So you've got this, this serious conflict of interest going on. And, you know, many people have pointed this out about other regulatory bodies as well. You know, they talk about the revolving door, sometimes the way that's put. Well, you know, it is a problem. But the reason it's a problem, you know, is, you know, again, and I don't know what Robert Kennedy uh, Jr.'s stance is on this, but many people, when they see things like that, is they say, what we need is a better regulatory state. You know, we need more honest regulators. We need less conflict of interest and et cetera, et cetera. Well, what that is, that's actually a superficial way of approaching things. That's a superficial way of dealing with the problem. I mean, what, what happens? Yeah, you're not going to ever clear that up. You know, the problem, the way that you deal with regulatory capture, the way that you solve that problem is you get rid of the regulatory bodies and you allow people to, uh, through the court system, to bring lawsuits against companies if they have been harmed. Through, I guess, you know, through, you know, in other words, you know, if you've been harmed by a vaccine, you should have the right to sue the vaccine companies. Now, here's the thing in the United States, and I don't know if this is true in other countries, it may well be, but in the United States, back in 1986, they passed something called the Vaccine Act that prevented people from suing vaccine manufacturers or bringing class action lawsuits against them. So, something else that Robert Kennedy talked about. Now, what it did do is it did have a provision for people to set up what they call vaccine courts. But from my understanding, the vaccine courts are all run by the pharmaceutical companies. So, yeah, you can bring a complaint and maybe you can get a settlement, although I understand that that's pretty rare. But whatever settlement you may get, it's going to be far less than what you would have gotten if you had been able to sue these people in, in court directly. So you had that that Vaccine Act in 1986 that really substantially insulated the pharmaceutical companies from from any uh, consequences of their their of, of bringing unsafe products to market. You know, if people were harmed, they didn't have any recourse. And you, you've got something even more, uh, even worse going on right now with these COVID vaccines. These COVID vaccines are being put out under what's called emergency youth use authorization. And they haven't been approved by the FDA. And as a result, as I understand it, these, these pharmaceutical manufacturers, I'm talking here about Pfizer, I'm talking about Moderna, I'm talking about Johnson & Johnson, principally those are the three big American manufacturers of the, the COVID vaccine. What uh, since it's since these the their vaccines are are being uh, allowed under the emer- under uh, the emergency use author- use authorization, there is no ability for the American people to sue these to sue these vaccine manufacturers. So if you get uh, are maimed by these these vaccines, or if you are killed by these vaccines, you have no recourse. There's no way you or your family can bring a lawsuit against any of these companies. And, and on top of that, then the, the use of these vaccines is mandated, you know, and they're making an obscene profits. This is not how capitalism is supposed to work. You know, what this is, this is a sort of crony capitalism. It's not capitalism at all. It's, it's actually more properly uh, called corporatism, or if you want to be even more direct about it, it's actually called 
fascism. That is vaccine fascism. Fascism, the definition of fascism is the merger of state and corporate powers. And that's what you see going on here with, uh, with these vaccines. You know, a lot of times people say, well, this or that is, is fascist. And, you know, they just, they just apply that term fascist kind of loosely. You know, anything they don't like is fascist. Well, that, that's not true. You know, there's, there's a lot of different um, terrible things out there. Fascism isn't the only one of them. But that literally fits the definition of fascism. When you talk about uh, government and, you know, the, in the form of the FDA and, and, and an act of Congress, when you talk about these, these uh, government and these vaccine manufacturers getting together to essentially shield the vaccine manufacturers from nearly all um, uh, liability, for for products for dangerous products that they put out, you know that is fascism. You know they get to pocket the profits, and you have no recourse. You know when we talk about people being injured or maimed really by these vaccines, some of these injuries are, are truly terrible. I mean this uh, myocarditis or pericarditis, um, I believe, and, and I'd, I'd have to go back and double check this, but from what I've read, you know these are permanent injuries uh, to people's hearts, and many times these are young people. You know these are teenagers. You know, these young men, especially young men, seem to be uh, susceptible to this, you know, who are having their health permanently damaged, and they have no recourse to go back and, uh, and, and sue these vaccine manufacturers for these, these destructive vaccines. So that's another thing, another reason why, you know, we should not have the regulatory state. You know, big government is, uh, is incredibly uh, beneficial for those who are for the, the, the rich and powerful. Now, the rule of law protects everyone. It protects the rich and powerful, but it also protects regular people. And you think, for example, in the, uh, in the Bible, in, in, the, in uh, biblical justice, if, if someone didn't take care of a problem that was, was very obvious, you know, that person could be fined or possibly even executed. You know, there's an example, and this is from Exodus 21, um, and I'm just going to read the, the quote here. It's talking about an ox. And, uh, and it says here, but, uh, but if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past and has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it contained so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. So if you own an ox and somebody comes to you, one of your neighbors, and says, hey, you know, this ox was, was having a go at me. It was trying to gore me the other day. And maybe you get even multiple reports. And another neighbor says, yeah, that's right. That, that ox really went after me. and It, it tried to gore me. I, I escaped. And, you know, um, I'm thankful for being able to escape. But, but I barely got away with my life. You know, it, you know if, the, if, if the owner has been made aware by his neighbors that this has been a pattern of behavior with this particular ox, that that owner has an obligation to keep that ox contained. It says, you know, you know, if the ox has tended to thrust with the horns in time past and has been made known to its owner, and the owner has not kept it contained. So, I mean, you know, it didn't say that, you know, if the, the ox you know, tried to go after somebody unsuccessfully that the owner had to get rid of the ox, but it does say the, you know, the owner has to keep it contained. And if the owner doesn't do that and that ox kills somebody, that owner is to be put to death. Now, that's some serious liability. Yeah, but right now we've got a situation here in the United States with these vaccine manufacturers making billions of dollars in profit. And again, I'm a cap I'm a capitalist. You know, I got a degree from, from business school, so I'm not here to run down the idea of profit. Um, you know, I, I love the idea of of, uh, of profit and of 
of uh, free markets, of capitalism, you know, these sorts of things. Uh, this isn't an attack on capitalism uh, in, at all. But, you know, if a business, if a manufacturer, vaccine manufacturer or any other kind of manufacturer puts out a product that is unsafe and harms people, those manufacturers need to be uh, held accountable for that. And that's done through the court system. It's done through lawsuits. That's the way you handle these types of things, not by setting up a huge regulatory state that tries to, to prevent wrongdoing or prevent injury uh, going forward. You know, and again, that's another example that, that ties in with that whole idea of, of uh, crime, crime punishment, not crime prevention. You, know, you don't punish all of these vaccine manufacturers by forcing them to jump through hoops if they haven't done anything that, that deserves that. But if a vaccine manufacturer puts out a vaccine that harms or kills people, and these COVID vaccines, from what I understand, the, the incidence, the number of, uh, of injuries and deaths that have resulted from COVID, uh, the COVID vaccines, exceed all of the, the negative, all of the injuries and deaths that were caused by all the vaccines put together in the history of the recording system in, in America. It's called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. And there have been more injuries and deaths recorded as a result of the COVID vaccines than all of the other vaccines put together in the history of the VAERS system. And I understand that the VAERS system goes back to 1980. So, you know, you're going back over 40 years at this point. And so all the other vaccines that have ever been rolled out have not amounted to the same number of deaths and injuries as has occurred from this one single vaccine. I mean, that just screams that there's a major problem with this. So in closing here, I wanted to just say, you know, the, the regulatory state, you know, that we currently have in, in America, and not just in America, but you see this throughout the West, uh, is is unchristian and it's unconstitutional and, and it serves elite interests. It serves the interest of those who you know have the money and have the power and it insulates them from uh, having to uh, to face their you know the punishment for their own misdeeds. You know, and this is why the regulatory state was banned by the law of Moses in ancient ancient Israel. It was also prohibited in our constitution. In the, the law of Moses, there, was, there were no regulatory police. There were no regulatory cops out there telling people how they, they had to run their farm or you know, had to build their house or had to do all these other various things. Now, if somebody, you know, there are certain cases where if somebody didn't take care of business, that those people could be held liable. And it's spelled out there very clearly in the law of Moses. But there was no regulatory uh, state, just like there was no regulatory state at the time of the founding of the United States of America. You know, there was a, uh, which country was, you know, the United States was founded largely on Christian principles. There, were, there was a, an author by, uh, who wrote a book called The Hebrew Republic. His name was E.C. Wines. And I, I believe he was a Congregationalist minister. And this was in the 19th century. And, and what he showed was that it, it wasn't to Greece and Rome that America owed its, its founding principles. It's actually to the Old Testament and the in uh, Israel as it was set up originally uh, in Canaan. I mean, if you look at the law of Moses, I mean, you know, Israel was not a a monarchy; it was not uh, not a kingdom. Uh, it was a republic. You know, it had a written constitution, which was the law of Moses. 
and it had judges that executed um, that made you know, executed justice uh, in uh, in certain areas, and it also had uh, local officials as well who had a responsibility for uh, for punishing those who practiced evil, and also praising those who did what was good. But the uh, rise of the regulatory state since the early 20th century is the collapse of the West. You know, that, that is the collapse of the West. You know, it's, it's something where we have rejected our heritage of freedom, and we are uh, forging our own chains once again to, to be enslaved to this regulatory state. Now, there are, of course, there are many other examples of the collapse of the West. I mean, one of them is the, you know, the, the feminism, homosexuality, and transgenderism. Yeah, there was a uh, story that I happened to run across today in, uh, yeah, this was in the Daily Mail, and uh, not not to pick on, on Sydney, Australia, well, I guess I'm going to pick on them a little bit, but of course, we, we have the same problem here in, in the United States as well, so I mean, this is uh, is certainly not unique to Sydney or, or unique to Australia, I'm just using this as an example. Uh, but it says here, Clover Moore is set for her third decade in charge of Sydney as she shrugs off four women challengers for the Lord Mayor's role. There's been a massive swing against her in COVID-delayed election. So here we see someone who is, uh, in fact, it says here, uh, Clover Moore is set for an historic fifth term after 17 years as Sydney's Lord Mayor. So she's going for term number five. And you know it points out here that her four challengers, there are also all four women. Now, you know, John Knox, and this was back in the day, this is back in the 1500s, John Knox wrote a treatise. It was called The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women. And it's kind of a, a funny title in some ways because he, he's using the term regiment in a sense different from what we're used to. You know, the, the term regiment, you know, when you usually hear it now, we think of maybe a, a, a military unit. But what he meant by regiment in the title of that, that essay uh, was government. You know, he, he meant the first blast of the trumpet against the government of women. And one of the things that he wrote in that, uh, I'm just going to quote this as a brief paragraph. One of the things he wrote in that essay, he said, to promote a woman to bear rule, superiority, dominion, or empire above any realm, nation, or city is repugnant to nature, contumelious to God, a thing most contrary to his revealed will and approved ordinance. And finally, it is a subversion of good order and of all equity and justice. Well, you know, and, and John Knox goes on, he makes a devastating case for this directly from the scriptures. Now, John Knox was right. You know, he called the state of affair where women rule over empires, realms, nations, and cities, Sydney, for example, he called it the monstrous regiment of women. But yet there are very few Christians in our own time who have even heard of Knox's essay, or if they have heard of it, um... They don't believe it. You know, they just think, oh, you know, that's just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, thunder and fulmination from, you know, way back in the day. And it has no application to our enlightened modern age. Well, John Knox was right. He was arguing from the scriptures and he was right back in the 1500s. And he is right today. That is a monstrous thing. Now, you know, I mentioned here, of course, this is not a problem that's in any way unique to, to Sydney. Uh, you know, here in the United States, we have lots of uh, of women mayors. I mean, one of the, the worst mayors in the, the country is uh, Lori Lightfoot up there in Chicago. She is destroying that city, just destroying it. Um, you know, there's the uh, the governor up there in Michigan, uh, Megan Whitmer. She is destroying the state of, of, uh, of Michigan, you know, with her tyranny, her COVID tyranny. 
And I think there's a good chance that you're going to see sometime in the not too distant future, both the Republicans and the Democrats run a a, a won't run women presidential candidates uh, against one another. I think it could happen as early as 2024. And in fact, in some ways, I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened yet. But I, I'm pretty sure it's coming. And, you know, there are a number of, of people on a uh, number of women on the Republican side that want to run. You know, there's, uh, oh, uh, Christy Nome from uh, out in, uh, in South Dakota. There's also Nikki Haley, who's uh, also very much pushing for that uh, as well. And there are probably some others, but those are two of the, the top names. And, you know, it is, uh, you know, I, I think back on when, when Sarah Palin ran as a vice presidential candidate along with John McCain, and there were lots and lots of Christians who came out in support of her uh, because she, she at least claims to be a Christian. And, you know, there, there was a lot of support for her from, uh, from people who are Christians, and, and they're making a, a serious mistake in, in supporting a woman for, uh, for president or for any other political office. You know, that is, you know, that is something that was given to men. And I know even by saying this, I'm probably likely to get a lot of people riled up uh, at me for, for this, but that is, that is the Christian stance, you know, that, that government is probably something that's done by men. Yeah, and I know a lot of people will, as I say, will flip out when I say that, uh, but that is something, and I believe you can, can prove that very well from Scripture. And I believe John Knox did prove that. And he's, of course, not the only one to believe that, but uh, he's probably the one that stated that the best. And I really highly recommend you read his essay. There's a, a, a version of that that was done by the Trinity Foundation a number of years ago. I think it was in 1990. I think at that time, that was when, no, 19... 1988, I think, is when that was put out. And, and I think the occasion, I don't know this for sure, but I think most likely that was done because Michael Dukakis, who was the, the, the uh, Democratic candidate for president that year, he ran against George Herbert Walker Bush and lost. But the, the Democratic candidate that year had selected Gerald, you know, Michael Dukakis had selected Geraldine Ferraro as his vice presidential running mate. And that was the first time in American history that a, a woman appeared on a, a major party ticket uh, for, for president. And it's, of course, it's occurred uh, after that now, but that was the very first time. And I think it's probably why they put that out there. So, you know, the feminism, homosexuality, and transgenderism, you know, those things actually all go together because essentially, you know, feminism, I don't know if, I think you could probably argue that it's certainly... I don't know if necessarily that the homosexual and transgender movement arose from feminism directly. I, I think I think they certainly are influenced by it because if you look at feminism, I mean feminism basically says that men and women are the same. You know, that there's really no difference between the sexes. Oh yeah, you know, there's a few minor things here and there, but basically, you know, women can do anything men can do. And and of course logically, you know, I, I suppose they'd say that men can do anything that women can do. And if you really want to push that, I mean, this is, you know, you're, what you're saying is that there's no distinction between men and women. And if there's no distinction between men and women, then logically, you know, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. And if there's no distinction between men and women, well, then why can't a man become a woman? Or can't, why can't a woman become a man? You know, why can't you say, oh, well, you know, I'm a, a man trapped in a woman's body or I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. And, you know, and why, why not accept the, the arguments of the transgender uh, advocates. I really do believe that that all started with, with feminism. I mean, it is a monstrous philosophy. It is a destructive philosophy. I don't think that it's a brutal philosophy. 
It's a brutal way of thinking. In fact, I, I think it's probably one of the most brutal philosophies, one of the most brutal systems of thought uh, that's ever been foisted on any people. It, it, is, it is thoroughly destructive. And it's, it's a great curse on the West. And I, I think you can see it both as, uh, both as sin and also as punishment for sin, because we in the West have, have turned our backs on, uh, on, on the Lord. You know, we've gone away backward, you know, as, as Isaiah said about Judah in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 1. You have children who've gone astray, we've gone, turned away backward, I think is the way uh, Isaiah phrased it. So, I mean, not only are we going the wrong way, we're going 180 degrees the wrong way. We're not just veering off a little bit to one side or the other. We're, we're going uh, completely backward, completely the opposite direction of what we should be doing. And then we wonder why we have all these, these problems. You know, another source of corruption uh, in the West you know, another source of collapse in the West. You know, it was a dishonest uh, monetary uh, system that we have. You know, the, the, uh, uh, the debt-based central bank-issued currencies that we all have to use, like, for instance, the U.S. dollar. And, and these, these currencies are used by the elite classes to manipulate markets and to steal from ordinary people and basically funnel the wealth of the nation all the way up to the tippy top. So, I mean, that's why you have... You know, the, the, the billionaires and the millionaires and especially the billionaires that sit at the top of the financial food chain, they're raking it in. They've never done better. While ordinary Americans are having a hard time, you know, even filling up, uh, putting gas in their car right now. You know, and, and this is happening by design. It's not an accident. You know, the, the entire Federal Reserve system is immoral. It is unbiblical. It is unchristian. And it is unconstitutional. You know, the Constitution says that gold and silver only are to be money, but they have created these, these fiat, uh, fiat so-called dollars that, that are destroying the, the, that they're using to manipulate and destroy the financial system uh, of the United States of America. And again, it's not just the United States. The Federal Reserve is the, the central bank of the United States, but all other countries have central banks that are doing the same thing to them. So whatever you say about the Fed is also true of uh, what's going on with these uh, these other central banks. And there's a the whole thing with the toleration of uh, of open corruption from government officials. I mean, you think of the the obvious uh, open and unpunished corruption of, of Hunter Biden. You know, here's an article, and this is from uh, Politico. You know, hiding the ball. Hunter Biden complicates White House anti-corruption push. Questions about the first son could detract from the president's efforts to position himself as a global good government crusader. Well, of course, Joe Biden's not a uh, global good government crusader. Uh, what did it say? Crusader. Um, of course, Joe Biden's not those things. I mean, Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. Joe Biden, you know, the election was stolen for Joe Biden um, by the party of Rum, Romanism, and Rebellion. And, you know, his, uh, his corrupt son is, uh, has been accused, I think, credibly, of all kinds of terrible things. Like for here's, here's uh, this is one of the more recent ones here. Let's see if we can find this. That's Hunter Biden, the great artist. says, most recently news broke this summer that Hunter Biden would begin selling paintings with initial prices as high as $500,000. It was an extraordinary sum for a debut artist and immediately invited concerns to people who wanted to ingratiate themselves to the president would overpay for his son's art. Really? Yeah. Uh, now, now, keep in mind, this is in Politico. And again, Politico is a mainstream paper. It's, it's you know, fully on board with the whole uh, liberal uh, progressive uh, ideas that are being pushed right now. But, you know, even they, you know, highlight this stuff and say, hey, you know, there's some, it looks like there's some real problems here. So, yeah, you, you've got this guy. I mean, apparently, I guess he's, uh, he's our latest Rembrandt. 
and uh, and he's out there creating these unbelievably awesome paintings. And people are paying up to five hundred thousand dollars, uh, or at least the the initial price on them is five hundred thousand dollars. I don't know what he actually got for them, um, but yeah, that that could be a, a bit of a conflict of interest. You know, it could well be that people are paying these huge sums of money for these uh, probably lousy paintings um, in order to ingratiate themselves with the president. You know, that's, I, I think, pretty obvious what's going on here. And, 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 of course, there's lots of other stuff that's going on with Hunter Biden um, that the mainstream media and the social media companies have, have worked to cover up. Uh, you know, there's the the issue of, you know, you talk about, again, the, the issue of... Uh, of the collapse of the West, you know, go back to the, the mainstream media. I mean, you cannot trust anything that comes out of the mainstream media. Now, I'm not saying every single thing that they say is a lie. It, it isn't. But they intentionally hide, um, you know, anything of any real importance, they hide. You know, either they outright lie about it or what's even more frustrating in some ways, they simply don't talk about it. You know, like you think about that Hunter Biden laptop story, you know, where this laptop was found and it had all of this apparently child porn on it and lots of, of horrible things on it. And the uh, any of the main newspapers, I think the New York Post, for example, that reported on it, they had their, I believe it was Twitter. They banned their Twitter feed. The All of the big social media companies, YouTube, um, Facebook, probably others. If you brought up anything about Hunter Biden's laptop, whoosh, you were gone. You couldn't even talk about it. And, and that was a big deal. And they helped swing the election. You know, that was part of the election rigging. You know, and in fact, that's another thing you can't talk about. You can't talk about the, the rigged election. I think there's massive evidence that the 2020 presidential election was rigged and was stolen uh, by Joe Biden and by the Democrats. But you can't talk about that. You know, and if you talk about that, you're in big trouble. You know, that is not America. And, uh, you know, now, oh, and I haven't even gotten started. You talk about the collapse of the West. You know, well, what about the massive, uh, massive immigration uh, fraud that's going on and how the wicked Biden regime is working overtime to implement the nation-breaking scheme, immigration scheme, um, of the of the Vatican and the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And that scheme includes flooding America with millions and millions and millions of illegal aliens. And not only that, but also paying them huge sum of money to these very same people who violate our immigration laws, all in a treasonous attempt to subvert the nation and fold us into their globalist nightmare while you're own nothing and have no rights. I mean, you know, they, you know, they, they want to be large and in charge. You know, the Pope, you know, Antichrist, he wants to be large and in charge, just like he was back in the day, you know, back, uh, back before that mean, nasty uh, Martin Luther um, nailed his 95 theses to the, the Wittenberg door. You know, they, they want to go back to the, the old time religion, you know, where when the Pope said jump, the only, the only option you have is to say how high your holiness. Um, they, they want to return to that. And, and they're, they're working night and day to make that happen. Now, you know, this is a very challenging time for, for those of us who are Christians. I'm speaking here especially, really directly to my, my fellow Reformed believers. You know, if you're a Christian, you know, we need to be able, we need to be on the front lines. You know, the, the cure for all of this, for the collapse of the West, I mean, if we're going to preserve or enhance any part of, of the, the civilization of the West, you know, that's not going to come 
from liberal Protestants. It's not going to come from Roman Catholics. Uh, it's not going to come from the Orthodox. It's not going to come from the Jews. It's not going to come from any of these other groups that lack the necessary ideas to create or to sustain a free society. Now, I mean, as believers, I mean, we don't, we don't hate these people. But we also know that they cannot ultimately um, restore, in any sense, really, the, the, the dire position that the, that the West is, is in. It's not even going to be something that can be done from the, uh, the truncated Christianity of the fundamentalists. You know, as Reformed believers, you know, we believe in teaching and preaching and, uh, and living, not just the gospel, not just certain fundamentals, as important as those are, and the gospel of justification by faith alone is absolutely essential. You know, that, that is how we are brought into a saving relationship, is by believing that, that gospel. There's not any other way to, to get into a saving relationship uh, with, uh, with the Lord than through faith in Christ alone. And that faith is a gift. It's by grace through faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. There's not any other way to get into heaven. There's not any other way to be saved. There's no other name under, under heaven by which we must be saved. And it's by faith alone. It's by belief, you know, by, by understanding and accepting what the Bible teaches about Christ, that he's the, the sole mediator between God and man, you know, that he fully paid for the sins of his people on the cross. That's the, that's the only way you can get into heaven. And, and for, for my, reformed, my, my fellow Reformed believers, you know, who, who accept this doctrine, you know, the... The job of sustaining civilization really does fall to us. And we need to stand up and we need to speak out. We need to be educated. We need to be able to learn how to apply the Word of God to these different situations where we, we find ourselves in, whether it's, it's school shootings, whether it's feminism, whether it's, it's the, the, the regulatory state, whether it's flooding the country with, with migrants, whether it's the Roman Catholic Church state, whether it's you know, any of these, these challenges. And I've thrown out a number of things here in this, uh, this particular podcast where I've given some examples. It's certainly not exhaustive. You could find other things. Uh, but I've tried to hit on a few of the big things. You know, and if you're a Christian, I mean, this is, this is our job. This is your job. This is my job to refute these things, not only to refute the, the evil systems and the evil ideas that we're confronted with every day, but also to show what the scriptures teach and to work to, 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 to rebuild if we need to, and we do need to, to rebuild our civilization based upon biblical principles. That's our job. That's a high calling. It's a big task, and it's certainly not something that you or I can do on our own. I, I, I can't do this on my own. Um, but it is something that, by the Spirit of, of Christ, we do have the power to stand. And, and I don't know, you know, we stand up, we speak out, you know, I, I do a podcast here. Uh, maybe you do something else. I mean, there's different ways that we can do this. Uh, that I'm saying that, that there's any one thing that, that any of us are going to do that's going to, going to change, obviously change things, but if we're faithful... God's also faithful. You know, we don't know what he might do. Uh, we, we really don't. So I want to encourage you, you know, stand up, you know, speak out. Don't be afraid. Now, we have the right man on our side. 
as Luther would say, the man of God's own, own choosing. So I want to leave you with that thought here today. Thanks very much for your time. I really do appreciate that. I enjoyed doing this, uh, once again, doing the, uh, the podcast and live stream for you here today. And until next time we talk, which uh, Lord willing will be next weekend, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word. Thank you.